Frank Allegretti was a meticulous pilot. He had been a pilot for the last 20 years of his life. And strange part about Frank and his um, desire for meticulous planning is that his plane crashed in an Iowa cornfield one day because it ran out of gas. He died in that crash. And Allegretti's wife, Cheryl, said, like everybody has told me, he was the most cautious and safe pilot that they ever knew. In an article by USA Today uh, about pilots and about the National Transportation and Safety Board uh, and the findings that they have about some things that have been happening here lately, Uh, They said Allegretti's story, sadly, is fairly common among pilots. And officials say pilots run out of gas with surprising frequency. In the past five years, fuel exhaustion was the cause or a contributing factor in 238 small plane crashes, killing 29 people. I was out in the middle of nowhere yesterday driving down an old farm road and saw a plane coming across uh, just above the tree line, and uh, I wondered the same thing. What is this plane doing out here, and will this plane uh, continue on, uh, hopefully with gas? Tom Houster, uh, who is the director of the National Transportation Safety Bureau, he, he said, it's surprising to me that there's a group of pilots who will knowingly push it thinking, I can make it to the last couple of miles and come up short. As I was uh, thinking about that article, I thought about how it relates to our lives, of how we are uh, so many times living as though we can just keep on going and going and to make it just a little bit farther and be uh, able to accomplish what we need to accomplish or get where we need to go in life and yet run out of fuel. And maybe this morning you feel like you have no fuel. Maybe this morning you feel like you've been pushing it and pushing it, and it's just a matter of time, and you're going to run out of gas. And you probably know what it's like to run out of, of gas, don't you? I mean, we've all crashed in different ways and at different times in our lives. We have all uh, pushed it. And and every time I think about this uh, phrase, pushing it here in this particular uh, story, I think about Kramer. Uh, How many of y'all are Seinfeld fans? I can, I mean, Seinfeld's been on for a long, long time, but it still keeps playing every night, right? You can turn on and watch Seinfeld. I've seen every one of them. I can pretty much quote to you uh, every line in every Seinfeld. But there, there's a great one where Kramer uh, is out demoing a car. And as he is uh, doing this, um, he's not going to buy it, but that's just Kramer. He's just out driving it. He decides to push it uh, past. He goes past all these gas stations, and there's very little gas in the tank. And the uh, used car salesman is doing everything he can to try to get him to pull over and convince him he needs to do this. And Kramer is on this high. He's just going to go as far as he can and live it up uh, every moment until he finally runs out of gas, believing that he probably never will. But he does. And we do too, don't we? We run out of gas. And we do this not only physically and we feel uh, uh, all of the, the injuries that come our way because of that physically, but we also do spiritually. 
And I think those two things can really go together. They do go together. The physical aspect of who we are, but also the spiritual. Well, Solomon recognized the need for refueling. He recognized the need for people to understand that they were empty and that they needed a place where they could go and refuel. A place where they could go and reconnect with the only thing that was going to be able to make them whole again. And so Solomon builds this house of the Lord. And if you have been here last um, couple of months, we've talked a lot about David and we've talked about Solomon. And uh, David was going to build this house for God. He had built a house for himself, nice, big, beautiful house, had everything inside of it that he wanted. But he recognized that God did not have a place. He had not built a house for God. Kind of like what we do when we spend everything on ourselves and we recognize that we have not given to God. And then we think later, "Why, God, I haven't provided anything for the things that you're doing and the things that you want and the things that you need to happen in this world. But David says, well, I'm going to build a house. And God says to him, as well as to Nathan, the prophet, no, you're, you're not going to do that. It's not for you to build. By the way, I don't even need a house. But if you're going to do it, it's not going to come through you. It's going to come through your son, Solomon. So Solomon uh, is a son of David, and he uh, decides that he is going to pray for wisdom and ask God to give him the wisdom that he needs. Part of that wisdom, and that was last week when we looked at that prayer. And if you fast forward a whole bunch, you'll see where he is getting to the point of he has finished this beautiful, majestic temple. And you can kind of get an idea, um, I believe here in the next uh, image that, that you'll see up here, what that would have looked like. Um, there are all kinds of pictures, and you can see what it would look like not only on the outside, but also uh, on the inside. And as you can think about this place, I mean, what an incredible place. There was really nothing there before. There was no temple. There was no set place where they could go and offer sacrifices under their sacrificial religious system. There was no place where they could go and uh, meet with God, a God that they believed would make himself present there in the altar area in, in the place or this Ark of the Covenant where God would meet with the people. And so they de- decide that this would be a good place for them to go, that they needed this kind of place. The religions around them uh, had high places where they would go and sacrifice uh, animals and uh, all kinds of things. They would go and make their sacrifices to their deities there. And so this is what Solomon was doing. And if you remember from last week, Solomon offered all of these, like a thousand sacrifices at the high place. Well, that was a, uh, a pagan place in the eyes of Israel. I mean, this was not a healthy place to go and offer sacrifices, but it was all they had. And so you see that change going on here as it shifts to temple worship. And they would go to this place and meet with God. And God said, this uh, will be your place and this place is where we will meet together. And so Solomon is all ready to dedicate the place. I don't know if you've ever been a part of a church dedication or a building dedication, but it's exciting if you've ever done that. 
to go out and to go from breaking the ground to a place where you know is going to be a house of worship, to seeing that go through all the way through the process. Uh, in our first church, uh, in fact, they're getting ready to celebrate 20 years. Um, the church that we started down in San Antonio, um, they will celebrate this in, in January. Um, and I was just thinking, 20 years seems like, uh, I mean, it, it doesn't seem like that long ago that we were there and we were a part of digging up the soil there and seeing um, a worship, a house of worship constructed and remembering what it felt like when we all gathered inside of that brand new building to worship and to realize that even though we can't contain God anywhere, this would be our meeting place. We no longer would meet in an elementary building. We no longer would meet in a uh, dirty daycare center. We would no longer meet in a volunteer fire department house. This was going to be where we would meet with God. And 20 years later, they're still doing it. And as we think about a place to go and to meet with God, we realize that's an exciting thing. Solomon dedicated all of this over uh, to God. He gathers all of Israel together and, and they're all surrounding this building and he raises his hands in prayer. And if you look again, if you look in your pew Bible there at 1 Kings chapter 8, um, you will see this as uh, Evelyn read this, this just amazing prayer. And our reading this morning, because we couldn't get to all of it, it uh, skips through different parts of this chapter. But in verse 27, uh, or verse 31 in chapter 8, it says, If someone sins against a neighbor and is given an oath to swear, and comes and swears before your altar in this house, then hear in heaven and act and judge your servants. And then in verse 33, When your people Israel, having sinned against you, are defeated before an enemy, but they turn again to you, confess your name, they pray and they plead with you in this house, then hear in heaven and forgive your sin, for the sins of your people. Then look down the next paragraph, verse 35. When heaven is shut up and there is no rain, because they have sinned against you and they pray toward this place, confess your name and turn from their sin, then hear in heaven and forgive their sin. He keeps going in verse 37. If there is famine in the land, if there's plague, blight, mildew, locust, or caterpillar, if their enemy besieges them in any of their cities, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer or plea there is from any individual or from all your people Israel, hear their prayer. And then verse 41. Likewise, when a foreigner, we call them aliens, don't we? undocumented or illegal people. Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people, Israel, comes from a distant land because of your name, for they shall hear of your great name, hear their prayers and answer them. I mean, Solomon is praying for everybody. He's looking around at the congregation, at the people around him, he sees the needs, he sees the people, he understands his people. And he understands his God. And so he is praying to this God to come and inhabit this place, to open his ears and eyes, 
to connect with the needs of the people. And he lists all of those needs. I mean, even right down to the locusts and caterpillars. If you have any need, come to this place and pray. And God is going to meet with you and be at work in your life. Forgiveness, healing. And I love that part about the foreigners. You know, we hear a lot of junk right now about uh, people who are coming into our borders and people who want to build these great big walls and um, send people back, not being nice to them, but even um, you know, being rough and aggressive and sending these people back, even splitting up families to send them back because they don't belong here, even though this was uh, their land to begin with, that we'll send them all away. That wasn't Solomon's attitude. It wasn't what God was conveying to the people. And Jesus would pick up on that later, wouldn't he? He said, this, this place is to be a place for all nations, not just Israel. I mean, that's why Jesus got a whip out and started turning over tables because of the injustice of keeping the foreigners out. It wasn't their place, some people said, not according to Solomon. So all people, all needs, everything was to, to uh, take place right there as they could come to the temple. We, as we think about our own lives today, as we consider where we are physically and spiritually, we need a place where we can meet with God, don't we? Because we need prayer in our lives. Each and every one of us, we need prayer. There were some studies done recently about uh, how many uh, people in America prayed and how often they prayed. and It was very interesting because um, even among those who classified themselves as atheists, said that they prayed. <laughs> I'm not sure what that means, but, but they prayed at, at, at different times. And among Christians, um, it was uh, found that about nine minutes a day were given to prayer. I'm thinking that's probably a lot, isn't it? Uh, I mean, just average amount of time that each one of us would spend in prayer, nine minutes. I'm not sure if that means like, help, get me out of here, God, or if it's a prayer for a specific need or a person or whatever. But it's interesting to think about. I mean, we really need prayer. We need prayer for our forgiveness. We can identify with the people of Israel because we are sinful, aren't we? There have been times in this past week when you have not gone God's direction, right? Anybody with me on that? There, thank you, especially Jenny. There have been times when you have done things that you should not have done. There have been things that you should have done that you didn't do, right? There have been places that you have gone in your mind or physically you shouldn't have gone. And we all need Forgiveness. We need to keep a short account with God to say to God, I, I need to come to you in prayer because I need to ask for your forgiveness. I need you to cleanse me of my sin. And it may have been a sin you committed yesterday or it may have been something you committed years and years ago. It could be the sins of our corporate body 
or the sins of America or the, the sins of uh, your particular organization that you're a part of, whatever it is. It's not just an individual need that we have for forgiveness. It's a community need that we need to engage in sometimes as well. But maybe it's an illness. We know that we can pray. We have a need to pray for those who are sick. I, I loved hearing Jimmy Carter's words. By the way, he's one of us, right? You may not even know who, who us are. But Cooperative Baptist, we always say our patron saint is Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter um, was diagnosed with cancer recently, and pancreatic cancer has been um, in his family, and his immediate family has taken the lives of his immediate family. Uh, and he's been able to, uh, to stay away from that. But um, he has metastatic cancer, and it's in different parts of his body. And the uh, news was really keying in on what it is that he would say. By the way, he taught Sunday school last Sunday, as he does every Sunday that he can at his Maranatha uh, Baptist Church. But he talked about his faith. And he talked about uh, how he could have hope and strength in his faith, knowing that, that God was with him. And knowing that when it came time for him to die, that he would be at peace and that he would be with God. But it's that power of prayer. People are praying all over for President Carter. There is a need that we have for prayer, to pray for healing, not just physical healing. In just a little bit in our missional moment, you'll hear about emotional healing and and the healing of, of our mental illnesses and the things that challenge us deep down inside. But there's also a need to, to pray for our um, neighborhood and to pray for our community and to connect with God in a way that we often forget to do. But we need a place to do that too, right? We need space. We need sacred space. I, I love the way that, <clears throat> excuse me, I love the way that Solomon says in his prayer. And if you look back at this, he, he gives kind of an intro to all of this. To, I think it's a, a way to uh, remind all of the, the people around there um, about what this would mean. It says, Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly, and he spread out his hands and he said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven and on earth, uh, keeping covenant, steadfast love for your servants who walk before you with all their heart, the covenant that kept, uh, for your, you kept for your servant, my father David. Therefore, uh, O Lord God of Israel, uh, keep your servant, uh, my, my father David, that which you promised to him, saying, there shall never fail you a successor before me. And he goes on to, uh, to say that... Um, May, th- may your eyes be open night and day towards this house, the place of which you said, My name shall be there, that you may heed the prayer that your servant prays toward this place. And in this place, hear, hear the prayers of those who come to you. Earlier in that prayer, he talks about there is, there is no way that you can be contained in this house, but it is a place. It's a place where we can come. Where is your place? Where is your sacred space? 
Do you have one? Do you have a place that you can go to get away from the noises that are around you? I was going to say children. Barking dogs. People who are making noise in your neighborhood. It's hard to get away from noise, isn't it? Where do you go? Right here. This is a good sacred space. But we need those, not only uh, for us as a church, as a group, but you need that as an individual, a place where you can go. Maybe it's a a certain place in your house. Maybe it's in your backyard. Uh, Maybe it is uh, somewhere that that you drive to that you can go and you know that you can have some, some quality time to be able to sit and to listen. But I want to challenge you to think about another place because we don't have a temple. This temple does not exist any longer. People are always talking about rebuilding the temple, and it really plays a lot into our um, eschatology, our our, uh, end times views and things. But what you need to see and, and what we heard from Paul and what we hear from Jesus is that you are the temple. You are the sacred space. You are the sacred place, and God dwells within you. And God wants you to connect right there with who you are, right in the midst of your thoughts, right in the midst of your actions and the the things that you do every day, even the seemingly small things that you do or the really big things you do in the community or at work. God wants you to convene and to commune right there with him. And that's a challenge, isn't it? We have to make time to do that. All these times that Solomon mentions, there's always a time to go and pray. There is always a need for you to pray, but there's always a time. You just have to make that time. When do you do that in your life? Is it while you drive to work or while you ride the bus or while you uh, get your exercise? Everybody does exercise every day, right? We all do, right? Is it um, when you put your head down on your pillow at night? And you close your eyes and you think about the day and you think about where God's been, like we do with our testimonies of praise, where you've seen God. If you don't have a time, make a time. Just try it out this week. As you go into this week, say, I'm going to make a goal for this whole week that I'm going to set aside, go, let's say, shoot for nine minutes, okay? If, if that's the norm for most everybody... Shoot for nine minutes and then you can work up from there. I'm going to sit and pray. You don't even have to say anything. You can just sit there and acknowledge God's presence and the things that are going on around you. We need that. Solomon in all of his wisdom understood the need for that and we do too. Um, This past summer, when I was in uh, Atlanta doing uh, a two-week seminar... um, that I'm, I'm working on, uh, I would pull up to campus every day. This is uh, Mercer University. It's the Atlanta campus of Mercer. And I would pull up in the parking lot every day, and we would have a seminar from 9 in the morning until 3 in the afternoon. And we would do this, uh, you know, five days um, of each week. And 
it was, even though it was a lot of fun being with some other pastors and getting to know other people, very intensive. I mean, a lot of information, like drinking from a fire hydrant, just all of this stuff that you have to think about and interact with and learn and, and be able to present and just a lot that goes into that. And so uh, after several days into that first week, you start to feel pretty drained. And each of us would talk about, even though we finish at three, we would go back to our hotels or go back to some of them lived close by. They would go there and try to do the work that they needed to do either for their office or uh, for the next day of seminar. And we all admitted to one another, we would just go back and crash. That we didn't have the energy or the strength to really do much else except rest and, and wake up and come back the next day. Well, one of the things that I, I heard about on the last day of the second week was when uh, one of our professors gave us an activity and said, I want you to go out and spend an hour uh, and thinking about your spiritual needs and, and the things that you need to do. And, and she talked about all the different places around where you could go and do this. You could go to this room or you could go out um, in, into the, uh, the woods that were nearby or uh, just a, a very beautiful campus, by the way. But right next to the parking lot, I discovered, is a labyrinth. Everybody knows what a labyrinth is, right? Where you, you can uh, walk quietly and uh, slowly and you work your way towards the middle. And the idea is that as you start, you have all of your burdens and all of your prayer requests and everything else. And as you walk towards the middle, almost like a maze, as you get towards the center you're throwing more and more of that stuff off and you are centering your soul on God. And I, I love this one because there are some places to sit when you get to the middle. And those are rocks that are going all the way around. But I had no idea this was there. Nobody ever told me. And I was just thinking, I wish that I had known about this for the last two weeks. My soul would have been so much more refreshed my perspective would have been so much bigger and, and uh, more expansive as I took some time to sit and to think about God and to be still and allow myself to be refueled. I parked right next to it almost every day. I just didn't know it was there. I wonder what you and I are missing as we go through each day of our lives, not realizing the sacred space God has provided all around us and the call of invitation that God gives to us. Come to this place. Let's meet together. Let us pray.